This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. A little Sunday, playing a little music and talking a little sports with you. We'll hear from Willie Colon in a couple of minutes. Right now, let's hear from Ruben in Indiana. Ruben, you are next on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, hey, how you doing? No, so I was just listening to you talking about the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I get everything you were saying, but they're playing Kansas City. Oh, I know. <laughs> I got They're it. They're playing Kansas City. Hey, so, listen, Ruben, uh, this team lost to Oakland, yeah. so I get it. You, you know, I, I, know. I understand I know. where I know. they are. And, and and considering that Severino's on the mound, this game is not over. But the, no, thing, that just jumped over. Out, the thing that just jumped out at me was, and I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to pick on him, but just watching no. Stanton, I'm like, are you really going to send him home? What are you doing? <laughs> That's funny. That's super funny. Yeah, I know. I know. I get you. I, I just wanted to chime in on that real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because uh, I, I'm a super. I'm a super Yankee fan from like the '70s. Okay. You know, when Thurman Munson was the catcher. You know, I'm an old school guy. Okay. And yeah, and I I actually called in a couple of days ago, and I was like, uh, they if George Steinbrenner was alive, Aaron Boone would be gone. <laughs> Well, you know what? I don't know, Ruben, and it's an interesting thought, and thanks for the phone call and checking in from Indiana. I don't know that Boone would have been hired because, you know, he wasn't a former Yankee, and he didn't have a lot of experience. Well, he was a former Yankee. I take that back. Uh, but he didn't have a lot of experience, and, you know, I don't know what – It's but you know what? It's so different now. And I understand Yankee fans having that thought process of, you know, if George were here, if George did this, if George were around, this wouldn't be like this and that wouldn't be like that. I don't know that George could operate the same way that he did back then. Does that make sense, fans? Okay, I don't know that he would have. It's an interesting thought. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Right now, let's welcome in my good friend. Uh, had the pleasure of covering him in his last couple of years playing football with the New York Jets, watching him on SNY, worked with him on this station, and he's done another couple of other stations. And there's some guys that you know are going to go into broadcasting. He's one of them. It's the pride of Cardinal Hayes High School. He is Willie Colon. He joins us next here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Willie, how are you? Hey, what's going on, Larry? How's everything? All is well, brother. Just hanging in there. I hear you. Willie, let's talk about the offensive line of the Jets. How about that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> As if nobody else is talking about the offensive line of the Jets, right? Right. Right. Uh, when when you on the outside, having played the position and looking at it on the out from the outside looking in, what are the things you're looking for from this offensive line this season? Well, well, I, listen. I mean, it's no it's no secret that you know last year when this team was sitting at what five and four or five and three, you know, a, a, the decline of not being able to kind of win games late down the stretch. And not even being able to score a touchdown, you know, with three with three games left in the season, uh, is a large. It came down to the offensive line. They got old fast with George Fenton and Brown, and um, who I have a lot of respect for, but they needed that offensive line to step it up, and then they just they just struggled, especially with the loss of Elijah Vera Tucker last year due to ACL. And so when you look at this, when you look at this ball club, man, you know this is an outfit that has all the bells and whistles, but it all comes down to that offensive line play. If they're able to flat out come out and, be, and establish their presence with a Makai Becton who's doing – who looks exceptionally great. I love all the pitches, and he's gone viral. He looks amazing. Um, you got big Dwayne Brown. I love the addition of Joe Tippin at center. 
Elijah Veritek is there, Thomason's there. So that five has played enough football and done enough good things individually. Now can they do it together with the stud, stud quarterback and Aaron Rodgers? They keep eight upright. Sky's the limit for that offense. What makes a good offensive line, Willie? What's the ability to communicate? A lot is talked about chemistry, but chemistry only happens when you get on the field and you play a lot together and you're able to communicate. And sometimes, you know, I we've talked about this in private, you know, we only have 10 seconds to get one message across five guys, right? And so that chemistry and that communication is going to take time with those guys collectively staying on the group together, staying on the field together, excuse me. Now if you have Makai Becton, who obviously has been through his woes, but if he's able to just get settled in, especially at that right tackle position because he played left tackle, um, if he starts kind of honing in and, and doing, kind of getting his mojo together, man, and they're able to communicate and they're able to stay together and really be able to kind of build that cohesiveness, the strength is going to come from the communication and trusting eight and eight and being able to trust them. Um, and then once that comes into tangible, man, that's, that's when you know you're cooking with something good. What's the difference between left tackle and right tackle? Obviously, it's the, you know, it's the premium spot, left tackle, you, you know, protecting the quarterback's blind side if he's right-handed, blah, blah, yeah. blah. But, but from, a, from a fundamental standpoint, what's the difference? You know, very few are able to make it look easier like Elijah Veritaku, uh, other guys struggle with it, and they struggle with it because of the mechanics, right? You, you're looking at you've got to flip the playbook in your head, um, just being comfortable in your stance, being able to kick uh, from your opposite leg, going in and out of a three-point to a two-point stance. A lot of it is just body mechanics, and you know, there's no secret. You know, the you know, you're going against the best edge rushers coming off the left side. Well, now the league has kind of shifted that. Now they're putting some of the best, the best edge rushers going on off the right side. A la T.J. Watt, you see Von Miller's done switched over. So you're starting to see these guys who made it, who, who have made their hay chasing the quarterback, come over to the right side. So that's why I'm happy that Makai Beckton is at the right side right now because now they're able to balance out their line. Dwayne Brown's going to be fine. I've loved his game for a long time. He's going to be, he's going to be strong and steady. But Makai being at the right, especially being in shape for camp, and being able to kind of have that time to fix his mechanics, get his, you know, kind of get his mojo on the right side is going to be huge because now the premier pass rushers are now on the right side. Willie Colon's my guest. It's the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Willie, let's talk about confidence, okay? Let's talk about the confidence of Elijah Vera Tucker, understanding that, okay, this is Makai Becton on my side over here. I got to depend on him on certain things. He depends on me. But let's be honest, Willie. His avail- Makai's availability has not been great. So what does? how does that change with the working if he is now – hopefully he'll play the whole season. But if he yep. has to be out and who that next person is, how important is building that confidence and that communication and that you know cadence together with that new person? Well, the backup is my Max Mitchell, who I love, uh, who actually was thrown in there last year, who did a fantastic job. Um, his grittiness, his toughness. Uh, I, I watched him in college. My office line, my office right guard, and uh, uh, my days with the Steelers, Darnell Stevenson was actually his online coach. So I got to know the, the big fella pretty well, and he's as humble and blue collar as he get, and he's gritty. Um, I thought he was a no-brainer to start out right uh, right tackle if Makai Becton wasn't going to be able to go for whatever reason. But with the big fella being in front of him, man, now they have solidified legit depth. And I think Elijah, it's only up to him to just do him. I think those two big fellas, if Makai Beckton is not able to get out or if he's not able to stay healthy, they have a plug-and-play guy in Max who knows the position, who's hungry, who wants to get back out there because obviously he dealt with some injuries as well. Um, if he's able to get back out there and not start in right tackle position, I don't think they're going to skip a beat because um, I, I trust him that much. And it's a matter of – to me, honestly – it's, it's a matter of Makai Becton 
really continue to prove his worth on that right side because Max is, is, is fantastic, man. And he, you tell him he, he got better once his confidence starting to build through all the games he was able to play. So if I'm uh, Makai, as great as he looks, I, I would feel some pressure from behind me, and that's going to be Max Mitchell uh, applying that pressure. You played with a veteran quarterback who won some Super Bowls in Ben Roethlisberger, all right? Yeah. How easy for you on an offensive line is that when you have a veteran back there who can pick out, you know, the the, the, the coverages on his own, who is not going to hold the football a lot longer than maybe mm-hmm. some of the young quarterbacks are? How What does that do for you as an offensive lineman? Well, you know, Aaron does have the ability to get the ball out of his hand, but he does improvise a lot, too. Uh, there's a lot of times where if you watch a lot of Green Bay Packer football, he'll sit back there and hold the ball just waiting for the for the bomb to open up. And um, and he's 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 somewhat of a magician as well. You know, he can scrim out of the pocket. He can do some wacky things a la like Patrick Mahomes or what Patrick Mahomes, kind of, they, they, mimic, they mimic each other in that regard. But he's a guy that you just got to keep up right. He knows where the blitz is coming. He's very aware of what needs to be happening from his receivers on the field. It's just a matter of him giving him time if he does seem to sit back there and kind of hold the ball. Uh, but for the most part, you're going to get a guy who's been there, done that, who knows how, what it means to play at a high level and win football games. And I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Aaron Rodgers is hungry. You know, he's not coming into New York just to be a media darling or kind of, you know, be the face of New York. I think all that comes to uh, that comes with the position. But I think he, I think he's very well aware that a lot of people want to see him fail after leaving Green Bay, you know, and, and in the fashion in which he left. And maybe there was communication or miscommunication. Whatever happened, whatever his departure was, I think he's motivated to come in New York and get it done. I don't think he's in the in the mindset of this is a vacation or he's just kind of just wants to see his career uh, kind of go off into the sunset. I think he is just as hungry, um, just as ready as he was if he was, you know, reporting to Green Bay camp. So, uh, I'm motivated to see how it see that dog come out of him because I think it's it's definitely in there. Willie, a lot of conversation around the National Football League about the worth of running backs. As an offensive lineman, how important is the run game to you to your offense? It's everything. Uh, for me, you know, the the running back is pretty much an extension of the center, right? Because you know, a lot of times if you're looking at protections, the the center is calling out who the offensive line has to slide to and have to be aware of. Now it's the center, it's the, excuse me, it's the quarterback and running back identify the other running backs or somebody else in the box. So a running back is huge. And, then you, you know, you talk about Saquon Barkley, a guy who I have a lot of respect for, you know, his extension to be able to block in the run game, finish behind his pads, you know, be a home run back, uh, being, a, being a weapon out of the backfield, being somebody who's a leader in the locker room, a face of the franchise. Like All those things matter, man, especially when – you have a quarterback, and I talked about this on my morning show. You know, it's so we're we're in this kind of quarterback world, and rightfully so. It's a passing game now. It's not like how I started the league, where it was ground and pound, play behind your defense. But nevertheless, man, a lot of these quarterbacks go through their woes during the middle of the season, whether they're young or old. And what you have is, man, you you got to be able to lean on the running back to kind of help that quarterback out because it can't all be on the quarterback. You know, I valid the Jets. You know, 75% of that offense goes to the quarterback. But if for whatever reason, if Aaron Rodgers gets dinged or if he gets hurt. They're gonna to have to. They're gonna to have to rely on a Brees Hall to kind of win them some games. They're gonna to have to rely on that offense line to win them some games. They're gonna to have to rely on that defense to kind of push through and win some games. That's just the nature of the NFL. So, I don't understand the devaluing of the running back. I understand what the market is. I understand that, you know, once Zeke got the bag at 15 million, and he didn't have the breakout year they expected, um, and they saw the, the, you know, the what Tony Pollard was able to do at a lower price. You know, it kind of it kind of hurt the market. But nevertheless, man. The running back must be valued. And I have a lot of respect for a lot of those guys 
who just grind it out, especially late in the season. You know once he comes apple-picking season, you're going to start running the ball, right? That's the bottom line. You're going to start leaning on the big uglies up front, and you're going to start running the ball, and that opens up the offense. And there's a lot to be said. I know a lot of people have a million opinions about it, but for me there's only one opinion, pay the running back. He deserves to get paid. Especially and especially when you have a lead late, Willie, you want to run the football, eat, eat the clock up. You're not trying to pass the ball up and down the field. No, I mean, like the way the way this the way the NFL is set up right now. I mean, it's it's all about the long ball, so to speak. And I know I'm talking football here, but it's all about being able to get the football down the field in big chunks. But sometimes, you know, having a run game to kind of neutralize the clock, to keep your de- give your defense a rest, to even having a guy who. For Christ's sake, one of the things I love about Derrick Henry is if you watch him from the first quarter to the fourth quarter, all those guys are gun-ho to tackle him in the first quarter, right? But what happens in the fourth quarter? A lot of guys get gator arms, right? They don't want to tackle that 6'3", 255-pound running back coming downhill who's looking for contact. And there's matrix to even show, because of the type of back he is, how many missed tackles happen in the second half of that game because he wears on them, he leans on them. And that's just motivation. And I know for offensive linemen, when you know, like, hey, man, we, gonna, we got eight minutes left in this, six, seven, eight minutes left in this game, we're going to hand it off to the big fella and we're going we gonna to start eating through people's chest. That's the confidence, man. That's, 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 called the, that's called the moxie about you. And once you lose that from the offensive side, man, you, you put yourself in a world of hurt. That's no question. Willie Colon's my guest. Willie, uh, what do you see from this Jet defense this year? They, they made some strides last year. There's no question about it. They re-signed Quentin Williams, which is something that they had to do as a priority. Uh, what do you yep. see from this team this year, and how do they improve to meet the, you know, what many consider a Super Bowl defense? How did they meet that challenge? Well, I'm excited. I know what Quentin Williams is going to bring to the table, and obviously they got a hell of a secondary in Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. Um, I thought losing Marcus Journal was going to – it may hurt him a little bit. We'll see what that what happens in the safety position. But overall, man, losing Chuck Clark, I thought, was a big blow. Obviously, he went down with ACL. He was a, a, a free agent who they picked up uh, out of Baltimore. But for the most part, man, I'm excited to see Jermaine Johnson. You know, they needed edge pressure. You know, a lot of their pressure came up the middle, and that's because of Quentin Williams. When he got hurt, there was a big dip in their ability to get after the quarterback. Now, you got Michael Clemens. You got Jermaine Johnson. I want to see them guys start to come into their own and really have an immediate impact. That's something where we have to wait two or three games to get a sack. And it's not all about sacks, but it's about impact. It's about putting pressure on the quarterback, stuffing the run, setting the edge, being a factor out there, not just being a guy out there just, you know, kind of just going through his reps and kind of just find himself. That, that, that's year one. We're going to year two, possibly three with some of these guys. we got to start immediate, uh, a more immediate impact from these guys, these role players, because Quentin's going to be Quentin. He's a dominant force, easily a top-five tackle. They paid him. They had to pay him. You did not want that distraction going into there. Uh, training cap, especially with hard knocks and everybody, all eyes on the New York Jets. You kind of wanted to eliminate that, and they did a great job of doing so. But for the most part, man, I'm looking at Jermaine Johnson. Can he be that guy? I'm looking at, you know, Michael Clemens. Can he be that guy? I'm looking at the, the, the young fellow who they just acquired out of the draft, Downing. Can he be that guy? So the supporting cast has to now show up to the stage. We know what Quentin can do. We know what Sauce Cardinal can do. We know what C.J. Mosley can do. We know what D.J. Reed on and on and on. But can the supporting cast, those role guys who are going to be out there alongside these guys, can they rise to the, can they rise to the challenge and, and make this defense, you know, possibly one of the best in the NFL this year? Last thing, Willie, and I appreciate the time as always. Uh, what do you need to see from Robert Salas, Robert Salas coaching this year? What, what, what oh. discipline and things like that do you need to see him make the adjustment and get better than he was after his first two years? 
Well, fortunate for him, he doesn't. He's never had to take on some uh, outside of Zach Wilson. You know, he hasn't had to deal with some of the. Larry, you've been a part of just locker room for a long time, the circus, so to speak, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of circus coming out of a lot of locker room. He doesn't have to deal with that. This team seems mature. It seems like they're in line. It's good that they have eight in the building to kind of be that guy, be that kind of bell cow, and how to be a professional. He doesn't have to deal with that. And it seems like he has a lot of good young character guys in the locker room. Now it's about him winning. Yeah, he has to get to the playoffs, and this is his defense, by the way. So this defense now has to come to the table. And the same energy and the same fight and the same dog we saw him um, operate with in San Francisco when he got here, and he had, to, he had to kind of clean some things up and kind of get this thing going. And now that he does, the table's set. Now he has to just win. Um, and I think he's a hell of a coach. A lot has been great. Uh, I've talked to a lot of guys behind the curtain, what type of coach he is. They love him. They love Joe D. So everything's good. The table's set. Now they just got to go win, you know, and that's the bottom line. And they got to win consistently. And, and, and the thing about we talk about winning, Larry, and you've been around it, it's not about winning. Can you win consistently and can you handle winning, right? Because when you start handling winning, the target comes on your back. And when the target's on your back, you act out of character because you feel like you have to do more. Or do you just understand who you are and you just stay consistent? And that has to be learned through osmosis too. So that's going to be a big key for him because a lot of people expect this team to win, but can they handle winning in a big market like New York when you know, Larry, every social media, magazine, every outlet is going to want to have their hand in that locker room. Can they handle it? Can they stay humble and hungry and realize that the destination is just making the playoffs is getting to the Super Bowl? Uh you getting that urge, Willie? We're we're right around the regular season beginning to start. You getting that feeling? You getting that that getting into that that mood of football, apple picking time? Oh, earlier? I, I I had that feeling in May. <laughs> the problem is keeping in it. Now I, I'm fortunate to have a three and two year old. I'm tackling them around oh. the couches. So uh, oh. yeah, man. Uh, my my energy. I'm I'm finding ways to kind of get some of that football energy out of me. Well, you're really doing some running now and running and blocking and tackling now, aren't you? <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah. Willie, thanks for a couple of minutes. Regards to the family. We'll talk soon, my friend. Awesome, man. Best of luck. All right. Thank you. It's Willie Colon, SMY analyst, among other jobs that he's got. Great information. We'll come back. We'll dissect some of what he had to say next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Interesting uh, comments from Willie Colon, and he's a thousand percent right, especially what he said about the running back, right? And it just, and uh, look, we understand that NFL players are not going to talk against each other. We get that, okay? We understand. But offensive linemen, for any of you who follow football, any fan that loves football, you know that the offensive linemen, they don't really want to pass block. I mean, come on, let's be honest. They don't really want to pass block. They love the run block because they love moving forward, pushing the defense back, and that level of physicality, and nothing makes an offensive lineman more happier than marching a, a nice 10, 11-yard drive right down the field, mostly on the ground, Late in the game. They love it. And I know because they told me. <laughs> That's how I know. They love that physicality. They love that aggressiveness of pushing the ball down the field. So especially late in the late in the in the season, December, January, you gotta have a running game. And the better your running back, the better your run game is going to be. And yes, we know about passing. We get it. We understand you pass for points. But late in the game, final minutes, you want to 
hold on to the football and make this, make it where the offense, the opposition offense never gets back on the field, you need a dominant run game. And so it all comes back to what we were talking about with Saquon Barkley, right? It all comes back to that. And for the Jets, listen, the offensive line is going to be key. The offensive line, that play is going to be important. That much we know. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can stay healthy because their health and the depth of their back, the depth of their linemen and the talent level of their linemen that's going to be a determining factor. Yes, the defense is the identity of this football team, and it always will be for me. It's really about the Jet defense. But the offense can really be helped if the offensive line does their job and keeps Aaron Rodgers upright and the running backs a couple of holes that the running backs can take advantage of. When we return, Alex Rodriguez made some interesting thoughts about the New York Yankees. We'll hear what he had to say on the Michael K. Show last week. That's next. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Something just happened at Yankee Stadium. And it was so funny that the Yankee players uh, turned their backs on him like they didn't know what it was. Anthony Rizzo. The home run drought is over. He went deep. Anthony Rizzo with a solo home run. Then afterwards, everybody comes over. (laughs) That's fun. Boy, I tell you. Boy, Yankee fans hope that gets him going, huh? Wow. He's had two hits today. One a home run. RBI double. I'm sorry. I still remember. Stan trying to make it home. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'll stop. I'll behave myself. Speaking of the Yankees, on the Michael K show, Alex Rodriguez was there. By the way, the Michael K show is going to be at Jets training camp this coming Thursday. You know, DPS from Rothenburg were out there Friday, and the K show will be out there Thursday. So they're going to have a bunch of great guests. So it'll be interesting to see what the second week of training camp is going to be. So make sure you check out the Michael K show. Uh, but this week, A-Rod was on. And, of course, Michael asked him, do you think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs? Definitely. I think they will be in the playoffs. You know, there's too much talent in that clubhouse. I think it's just the philosophy thing. Look, I think Aaron Boone gets way too much of a hard time, I think, with what the cards has been dealt. I think he's very limited on what he can do. You have a very stagnant roster, which presents challenges. And I think, look, about a decade and a half, the Yankees decided to go 100% analytics, uh, something they haven't done for the past century. Uh, in that past century, they won 26 championships and, and won in 09. And I think sometimes that's too much. I, I think you have teams or the the analytics team is, is not doing their job, right? But you have a great blend with Atlanta Braves where they have a great leader in Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, they have a great data science uh, department, but they also have over 150 years of Major League Baseball experience in that dugout with managers and coaches that provide a tremendous deal of, of value to that roster. And isn't that really what fans are looking for? Not either analytics or experience and the eye test but the combination of both, right? And ideally, that's what you would want. Ideally, that's what you would be 
if I would take a poll of most fans and ask them what is the blueprint to success for a baseball team, specifically baseball, and the raw analytics should play, they would say 50-50 for the most part. Once again, it's not you don't want analytics to disappear. It will never disappear. I mean, come on, Yankee fans. You jump on Aaron Boone, but you know, the previous manager was Joey Looseleaf, so Joey Notebook and Joe Girardi. We've all they've always had analytics. There's always been numbers in baseball, in sports, period. But it's how you use those numbers. And A-Rod is saying it's a hundred percent analytics. Hmm. I still think the eye test has to mean something. So, A-Rod, aside from that change, what else are the Yankees missing? I actually think that the Yankees miss, where are the old legends? Where is Reggie Jackson? Why is he wearing another uniform? I know that in 09, we struggled, Michael, and I think I told you the story. I haven't told Don, but we were struggling. We, we lost probably, you know, 7 out of 10. It was Reggie Jackson that brought us to dinner, both Derek Jeter and I. He made us laugh for a couple of hours, and then we got going the next day. But you need guys like Reggie. We had Lee Mazzilli, Roy White, Willie Randolph. I mean, these guys brought so much value. When we're struggling, we're not going to go to a or data analytics and look for more data. This is a hard game, and it'll bring you to your knees. We had the luxury that George Steinbrenner always had these ledgers around for us to learn how to win from them because we're ultimately an extension of the great players, not great front offices, but great players. And the last thing I will say, you can have the greatest data analytics team in the world. You can bunch 30 of them. I'll take Gene Michael every time over those 30. I would take Pat Riley, Jerry West. You cannot replace experience at the major league level, no matter how much they try to change the game. And he's right. But it's a mixture. It's the combination of both. And and that's the best way to get it done. Although, A-Rod, are you sure you really like analytics? I love analytics. Just because you're in analytics doesn't mean you have a good analytical team. Maybe that team is doing it the wrong way. So just because you go analytics doesn't mean that every analytic team is good. You have some great, you have some good, and you have some terrible ones. And if the numbers say they're terrible, then you have to shuffle the deck. I know with the Timberwolves, we, we spend millions and millions of dollars in our data science and analytics team. But at the same time, we have Tim Conley, who's been in the game 30 years, who's a gym rat, and is the blend of both. I'm more interested in, tell me about the kid's character. Does he love basketball? Is he passionate? Is he a hard worker? Is he a winning player? Things that Scott Brochers were, Chuck Knobloch. It's not just the big players. How about a guy like Paul O'Neill that overachieved his whole career? Tino Martinez. When you go across the championship teams and you look at our 9 team, every single one of those 25 were dogs. They would die to win a game. They were passionate. And more importantly, we fit together as a unit, not just, hey, these are 26 guys that look good in an iPad or models. If I hear it doesn't work through our model one more time, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> They also were really good contact hitters who could get the ball out of the ballpark. That's the other thing those those teams were. Really good contact hitters. They didn't miss mistakes. They kind of hit for average. Okay? That's the difference in what you have right now. You're not getting a lot of contact from these hitters on the Yankees. You're just not. So A-Rod on the Michael K. Show said the Yankees will make the playoffs. Doug Glanville, baseball analyst for us at ESPN. The Yankees done? 
I don't count the Yankees out. The basement in the AL East is the penthouse in the AL Central. It's just the way it is this year. Any given week where teams beat up on each other, there can be a complete shift in that division. I think the mo- more importantly than even the Yankees' question marks about, okay, why are they having these struggles, is also that the Rays have kind of come back. And they got out, out of the gate really fast. Baltimore caught them. You see the potential in that division that anybody could get hot over a week and, and be in a completely different position. I see no reason them giving up. No, they're not giving up. I agree with Doug a thousand percent. And why should they? They are just a couple of games out of the final wild card position. And they've got a nice lead going today against a team they should beat. And they've got a chance to sweep this Kansas City Royals team. You know, a lot of things. This is this is a game, a game right now, a game that's got some positive feel goodness to it, right? You've got Rizzo ending the home run streak. I think it's his first home run since May 26th or somewhere late in May. All right, you got Gleyber Torres with a two-run home run, continuing with his hitting streak of 13 straight, which I believe on the uh, Yes Network says it was a career high for him, consecutive game hitting streak. Uh, so there's been uh, – Severino's look good so far. There's been some positives here. All right? But once again, it's against the Kansas City Royals team that is one of the worst in baseball if not the worst in baseball, A. And B, uh, you understand that this offense has not been consistent, so you can't expect them to carry this on. This is not a scenario where you say, okay, well, we got five runs, well, tomorrow we'll we'll build on it. You, You hope to build on it, but there's no guarantee that you'll build on it. And once again, you are about to hit a stretch. All right? Because after the day off, you've got the Mets, the end of the Subway Series, and then you go into... Three at Baltimore, three at home against Tampa, and four at home against Houston. That's a big part. That's going to determine if you can do well in that set, you could make a major move towards that wild card spot, that final wild card spot. If you can make, have a really good couple of weeks where the pitching comes together. Okay, Kansas City is now on the board. Where the pitching comes together, solo home run from Perez. And the hitting comes, gives you a little something. Okay, that could build you. So is a good pitching to Aaron Judge. He's about ready to be at it. That's going to add some depth to your bullpen, which is start to leak a little bit because the guys have worked a lot. So this is a very important stretch for this team. If Rizzo can get hot for you, a lot of ifs. <laughs> if Glaber can stay hot, if Stan can stay in the lineup, you can make some moves here. And you still have to do something at the deadline. You need to solidify left field. You can't continue to be it can't continue to be left field by committee. It just can't. Something has got to be done in the outfield for you to make a push towards getting to the postseason and lengthening that lineup. Whether Judge returns immediately, later, or not. More of the Larry Hardesty Show next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. The Mets will play tonight. In the game you hear right here on 98.7 ESPN, Mets and the Red Sox. That's going for the series in this one. Uh, of course, also, K-Rod on ESPN2. 
and uh, Don LaGreca among the list of guests who will be on tonight. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And the Mets are in an interesting position. And we finished the show where we started the show, right? And they're in an interesting position because Billy Epler, Steve Cohen, and company have a decision to make. And the decision is, what exactly are we going to do with this trade deadline? Now, they might have been skewed a little bit because going into the All-Star break, the team won six straight. Then they lost two. And then coming out, they lost two. And they've been up and down, which is really the way they've been all season. So what will they do at the trade deadline? Well, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander and David Robertson, for me, are probably three pitchers, three players who happen to be pitchers, that teams are going to be interested in if indeed the Mets are going to be sellers. Now, Buster Olney has said that the Mets are going to be measured sellers. So they're not going to be wholesale changes, but they're going to be maybe, you know, some some moves that they can make where they get back some minor league talent to build that roster, which is something that Steve Cohen has made it clear that he wants to do with this team. So after a tough performance by Max Scherzer last night, a performance where he gave up four home runs, he was asked about trade rumors. Just not commenting on the trades. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm here to win with the Mets. Nothing else. There's no reason it's, it's clickbait. Okay. So he's saying, listen, you know, you're just trying to make stories about it. I don't want to talk about trade rumors. But to be fair, he has to be asked because – He's one of the reasons why the Mets are in the situation they're in. He's not the only reason. He's not the he's not the reason. He's one of the reasons. And it's the inconsistency of his performances. And it happened again last night. At a time when they they could have really won both games. He came up with a bad effort. Max, let's talk about those four home runs you gave up. Well, it's just execution. You know, like I said, you know, two the Cassis homers, I got to execute better. I absolutely have to execute better. I got to get to those up and in quadrants better. Um, th- that's that's easy to diagnose. Like I said, the Chang homer, it's a it was a bad. You know, like, it's just part of the, rule, the game this year. Like you can't check out of a pitch. So that one doesn't bug me. And, and same thing on Grand. Like that's not a. Obviously, you know, you got good wood to it. I'd like to get it lower, obviously. Uh, like, I'm not just going to lose sleep over that pitch. Because it's actually, you know, my curveball's been really good this year. I got it down in. I needed one more click down. You know, most likely that's a foul ball in a lot of different situations. But like I said, you know, Park, it's a homer here. Um, it is what it is. All right, so that's Max Scherzer on the four home runs. Listen, I get it. Uh it's it's been just that kind of year for him, right? It's been inconsistent. It's been location. It's been slider is not working the way it should. It's been a number of different things that has really caused Max Scherzer not to be the player and the pitcher that we've expected and have seen from him. But he has to be asked, and I I appreciate him standing up there and answering the questions, knowing that he let the team down again. Now. I could understand, this is just me as a fan, 
I understand one home run. I understand two home runs. But four home runs and two to the same batter is an issue. And that means that either, yes, location, but it also means possibly that the velocity is not where it needs to be so that they're not being fooled. There's a reason why Scherzer is not being as good as he was previously. And this is the chance you take when you sign older players, pitchers especially. This is the chance you take. Buck Showalter, what did you see from Max? No, in my list of uh, things, you know, Max seems to always have a way of figuring things out and being and being there for us and competing. He's been doing it for a long time. I don't, uh, every once in a while, the other team's pretty good too. But, uh, you know, we've done a good job of uh, holding them down. For the most part, we uh, weren't able to do it there, obviously. No, I, you know, Max is, uh, he's, a, he's hard on himself in a good way, but uh, you know, I know I trust All right, so uh, I guess what he saw from Max is a professional pitcher who's going to do his job and he's going to ride with him. He's not going to criticize him. I got it. And I understand that's how Buck, Wal- Buck Showalter feels and that's how Buck Showalter is. And I get that. But this is a th- these are important days for this Mets team. Because once again, they have to make a decision. We know it's been published reports that the Giants and maybe another team with Giants or San Diego, there's a team out west that's interested in Justin Verlander if the Mets are going to move him. And he waves the no trade. Obviously, with the season David Robertson has had, he would be an option for some teams who are looking for a setup man or a closer. And there's a couple of everyday players that they can possibly move and get some some really good, talented minor league prospects to help build up the division. But I also think that this is also a time for the Mets to look at the young players they have in their system. Brett Beatty has played well. His his offense has been good. Defense has had some issues, and he'll get better. You got to play to get better. Francisco Alvarez really has been one of the positives of this season. In the season of struggles and disappointments, he has not been that. He has been a bright, shining star for this team. His ability to hit, his ability to hit the long ball, and his ability to call games and defend reasonably well, I think really well, at the catching position has been heaven for this team. There have been some disappointments. And for me, Brandon Nimmo has been the most consistent player on this team, and it's not even close. Yes, Lindor has showed you some things. Yes, Peter Alonso has showed you some things. Tommy Pham has been really good since June. One of the bright spots of that team when they were just awful in June. But now Pham is hurt. Guillaume is hurt. And so you wonder what's going to happen at this time where, again, they have to make a decision. Are we going to buy or are we going to sell? Currently, before their game tonight against the Boston Red Sox. 
The Mets are six games under 500. For me, if they are not, if they are not a 500 team in or around the break, the all the uh, not all star break, the trade deadline. I'm sorry. Uh, what are we doing? What are we doing? Tonight, Carlos Carrasco's on the mound. In 65 and two-thirds innings, he's allowed 66 hits, 48 strikeouts, and walked 29. He's given up 13 home runs. And it's really the same for this Met team. You can gauge what's going to happen with this squad based on the starting pitching. Now, Kodai Senga has been great. He's been another bright spot on this team. Especially of late, past, I'd say, month, he's been outstanding. Outstanding. But the Achilles heel of this team, pitching-wise, has been starters not giving length. Carrasco, in his last appearance, didn't go five. He went four in the third. More pressure on the bullpen. Will he do better tonight? And he's playing in the stadium that, and you heard Max Scherzer talk about it. It's weird. (laughs) It's weirdly constructed. So it's hitter friendly. It's hitter friendly. Can Carrasco keep this Red Sox team off balance enough offensively? I mean, they're five games over 500. Okay. Can they? Can he keep them off base a little bit so that he can allow the Mets offense to possibly score some runs? I mean, they have scored some runs in this series. So that's been good for them. That's going to be the question tonight. Will they be able to get some, some scoring and get out of this series winning the series. You'll hear it here on 9870 ESPN. That wraps up this edition of the Larry Hardesty Show. We thank you as always for joining us. Special thanks to Willie Colon for stopping by. Tom, Julian, thank you very much. The conversation continues right here on 987 ESPN.